here this morning, and I want to talk about, preach about, preach about, whatever I decide to do. I'm not really sure this morning how I'm going to go about this. I I prefer it that way. Uh, But Matthew 27th chapter, and this is very familiar, especially on Resurrection Sunday, starting with verse 58, starting with verse 58, we're going down through verse 60, and it said, He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed, and departed. Let's pray together right now. Father, we thank you for your blessings in this place. We thank you for what we've already felt. I pray here this morning that you would touch, and God, give us a spirit of revelation. God, let revelation flow upon each and every one of us. Give us some understanding along with that revelation. Let us look to you, Jesus, with more understanding and more revelation than ever before. Because, God, we know the time is short. We know we don't have much time. And every word that is spoken, Jesus, needs to come from your heart. I pray here this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I read this morning the paper where the new pope shortened the mass for Easter. Now, we're going to call it what they call it. And uh, he, said, he said that he was going to make all the, the mass short and concise and to the point. So I'm going to say that today. Now, his mass, it was short and concise to the point, and the shortened was two and a half hours. So that gives me some liberty here, right? Anything less than two and a half hours, I'll be doing real well. So, all right. I'm going to talk about barriers this morning. In fact, I'm titling this Barrier of Stone. Barriers, I, I think we are all guilty of erecting barriers around our minds, around our hearts, We get hurt, we have someone who says something unkind, or even if not meant to be unkind, it still comes across that way. And we tend to immediately put up a barrier. We don't want to get hurt again, so we erect the barrier, we put it around our, again, our minds and our hearts. It can be done in so many ways. It can be with someone hurting us, you know, it can be, uh, it can just be with with a lot of things. We we build barriers in our backyard sometimes to keep the neighbor from coming across. We build uh, little unseen those little electric fences to keep their dogs from doing bad things in our yard. You know, we we erect barriers. We are a people that have that tendency, and regardless of how much we say that we don't, we do. Now, barriers barriers are considered a physical structure which blocks or impedes something. It impedes. So a barrier doesn't necessarily block out everything, but it slows something, some things down. It's an interesting little fact that I found out, and of course a lot of you may already know this, but there is what is called the blood-brain barrier. And it's a membrane that surrounds the brain that compartmentalizes the brain from the rest of the body. They first discovered this in the very late 1800s, and uh, a man, a doctor, injected dye into a person's body, and it covered every organ except the brain. And then uh, they, you know, then they they went right to the brain and injected dye, and the only place that it went 
was to the brain. So there is a, a barrier there. Uh, and and, and it's, it's, it's interesting, I thought when I read that, how it's so much in a spiritual sense we can understand uh, some things just by what happens in the natural. So then we can, we can say that not all barriers are bad, but not all are good. When man fell, or man fell in the Garden of Eden, God placed a barrier at the tree of life, a flaming sword. And that sword constantly went round about, round about, guarding the way back to eternal life. And I, I've thought many times, I've, I've taught on the flaming sword before, and I've always gone back to it, and I can imagine in my mind how that, that you had Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden, you had Cain and Abel, and you could say that they were, they were camped out next to the borders of the Garden of Eden. Sin had already taken over, and the curse of the ground had already come. So I believe that, that even in the Garden of Eden, that there was weeds beginning to grow. Everything was taking over. But the one thing that they could see, and regardless whether it was day or night, they could see that flaming sword guarding their way back, keeping them from getting there. So at nighttime, the one thing that was illuminated by that flaming sword was everlasting life, the tree of life. And to see that and to, to know what you once had and to see it illuminated day and night and knowing that you're not going to be able to get back there. And so, so you, you have Cain and Abel, which somehow Abel, was, uh, he managed to understand enough whether it be through Adam and Eve and the fact that they were clothed with animal skins and there was blood that was shed there and maybe that was all they knew. Maybe that's what Adam had taught to his sons. So Abel brought in the fullness of time a blood sacrifice of the best that he had. And Cain, of course, brought his the best vegetables. Well, by doing what Abel did, it cost him his life. In fact, the matter is, everything that, that's good for us is going to cost us something. Anything that's good for us is going to cost. In this case, it wasn't just what he offered, but he lost his own life as a result of what he tried to do. And so Moses, another one, wanted to see God. And, and the only way that, that, that this could happen was for Moses to be placed in a cleft of a rock or a barrier between him and God. And only allowed to see the hinder parts of God or the history of God, which led to him writing the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And so he was still, there was that barrier, that, that, that inability, if you would, to, to get to God the way that he wanted to get to God. And, and yet the Bible says that, that Moses spoke to him face to face. It's interesting how that, that came about. But Moses was not able to get where he really wanted to. Folks, have you ever really been there? And, and I think in the last, probably the last six months or longer, that a lot of the preaching I've been doing and others and Brother Hill's been doing, you know, we're, we're, we're really working, working at crossing the Jordan River to get where we want to be. To get where we want to be with God. To understand the promises of God better than we've ever understood the promises of God. Yet I look back at these men and some of the mistakes that was made and the desire in their hearts... And there was barriers always between them and God. And so we, we see and we go on and after the erecting of the, of the tabernacle, there was a veil that some commentators believe was three foot thick that separated everyone but the priests from the presence of God. And this presence dwelt between the cherubims atop the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. 
the high priest was allowed to go into the holy place past the veil once a year. And this was to sprinkle blood on that mercy seat to atone for the sins of Israel. And all of this did was push the sins of a nation forward to a time when the barriers would be lowered. And if you're with me a little bit, I want you to understand what I'm saying. God knew in His infinite wisdom that the greatest barrier between a loving God and a sinful mankind was our flesh. Our minds, if you please. So, so He came clothed in the very thing that hinders us. God came in the flesh and He walked among us and He performed miracles and, and healings and He felt the temptations. Please be with me on this. He felt the anxiety. He felt the shame. Just like we do. Just like we do. Yet He overcame the flesh and He died on the cross and that's why we're here this morning feeling the way that we feel with that thanksgiving in our heart because of what happened this past Friday and what happened this morning 2,000 plus years ago. Aren't you glad you know Him and you know truth and that you have an opportunity to love Him the way we have that opportunity here? Praise God. You know, when he was on that cross, the one thing that hits me here and always has, the flesh was torn on his side and out poured blood and water. The flesh barrier was was, was was pierced. And the same moment that that flesh barrier was pierced, the veil in the temple was torn apart like it was a, a hidden hand or an unseen hand. And, and, and the thing is, he, he immediately tore the barrier down. Man could go to God, could go in His presence. And, and he knew that. But he still wants to... to, to break down or to conquer one more barrier. And that barrier is the blood-brain barrier. You see, most of us have this problem in our mind that doesn't allow the blood to flow freely that Jesus shed. We can't believe that we can be forgiven for things that we've done. And you see, it's not a heart issue. It's a mind issue. It's a mind issue, it's a brain, that we need to get done and tear down this blood-brain barrier. You can be forgiven. God can work in your life. God can change you. Let's tear down this morning some of that blood-brain barrier. <laughs> How do you do it? How, how do you do it, Brother Roberts? How, how do you, it's easy to say. You know, it's easy to say. Uh, in this heart, we know we, we worship God. We come into church and we see the worship and we hear good messages and we feel good and we walk out and all of a sudden it just, just it closes off again. It's like the blood almost got to my mind to cleanse it, but it, it closes back up once again. What do we do? Uh, maybe I can help you with that, I hope, this morning. Because the way to do that is to show not only you, but the world an empty tomb. Maybe that's too simplistic for you, but you need to think about it a little deeper, maybe. To show mankind that he can apply, God can apply his blood to not only our hearts, but our unbelieving minds. 
that his death, burial, and resurrection has significance and, and that applying the good news through repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the Holy Ghost can conquer the barriers in our hearts and in our minds. Ezekiel said in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, and he said, And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take that stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. All of this depended on an empty tomb. All of this depended on an empty tomb. But there was one more barrier between the empty tomb and mankind. One more. And it was a large stone that was rolled in front of it and sealed with Pilate's seal. Rolled in front of it. Guards in front of it. It was there. But early on Sunday morning, whatever Pilate did could not stop the stone from rolling away. And when that stone rolled away, all of mankind was able to see an empty tomb. All mankind could see it. On Friday this past week, we commemorated that wonderful anniversary of our Lord's death. I know, and it is wonderful, at Calvary. But 12 years ago, there was another anniversary that was commemorated on Good Friday. And that anniversary was the 258th birthday of Thomas Jefferson. Members of his family had gathered to celebrate and they met in Washington, D.C. And that, that city itself was a city that was designed by Thomas Jefferson. John F. Kennedy once said to his cabinet in the White House dining room, he said, Never has so much talent and genius been gathered in one room except when Thomas Jefferson dined alone. Yet for all of his genius, Jefferson failed in one area. Jefferson translated his own Bible, or more accurately, the New Testament. And actually, it's only the four Gospels of Jesus Christ as recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But still more to the point, it's only selected portions of the Gospel that he translated. Now, Jefferson edited the Gospels to suit his notions of Jesus. Gone is the account of our Lord's healing the blind of his feeding the multitude, of his walking upon the water. Gone is the account of his raising the dead. And gone, too, is his resurrection. The U.S. Congress in the 18th century released a special edition of the so-called Jefferson Bible. And its closing words were the saddest that was ever penned. There laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher and departed. In his poem, simply called Easter... Uh, you want to read this to you. It's a Victorian poet. You have to listen carefully. His name was Arthur Hugh Clough, and he wrote it like this. He said, What if the women, ere the dawn was gray, saw one or more great angels, as they say, angels or him himself, yet neither there nor then, nor afterward, nor elsewhere, nor at all? Hath he appeared to Peter or the ten, not save the thunderous terror in blind Saul? Save in after gospel and late creed, he's not risen indeed. Christ is not risen. 
Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, as of the unjust, also of the just. Yea, of what just one too, this is the one sad gospel that is true. Christ is not risen. Is he not risen, and shall we not rise? Oh, we unwise, what did we dream, what woke we to discover? Ye hills fall on us, and ye mountains cover. In darkness and great gloom come ere we thought of our day of doom. From the cursed world, which is one tomb, Christ is not risen. Eat, drink, and die, for we are men deceived. Of all the creatures under heaven wide cope, we are most hopeless who once most hope. We are most wretched that had most believed Christ is not risen. Eat, drink, and play, and think this is bliss. There is no heaven but this. There is no hell save earth, which serves the purpose doubly well. Seeing it visits still with equalist apportionments of ill both good and bad, and bad alike, and brings to one same dust the unjust and the just with Christ who is not risen. Eat, drink, and die, for we are souls bereaved of all the creatures under the broad sky. We are most hopeless that had hope most high, and most believeless that had most believed. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, as of the unjust also of the just. Of that just one too, it is one sad gospel that is true. Christ is not risen. None other than the Apostle Paul cried out this in 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen, And if Christ be not risen then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Vain. He said vain. Our preaching is vain. Our faith is vain if the stone hadn't been rolled away. I was watching the sun rise this morning. That's my common thing I do, resurrection morning. I get up early enough, get out and watch the sun come up, and think about times past. Think about what God has done for me in my life, my family. Uh, it's a kind of a symbol, kind of a prayer, meditation thing that I do. And I also drifts back, and I remember the Scripture and the story. And I imagine four women trudging toward her recently borrowed tomb. And in their arms, they carried spices with which to anoint the Lord's dead body. It's funny, I, sung, I like Song of Solomon. I read it, it's poetic in, in so many ways. And it's hard for me to imagine that, uh, that anointing the one who dwelt in the hills of frankincense and the mountains of myrrh. It's what the Song of Solomon says about Jesus Christ. It's hard to imagine that. But here we, we see and hear Matthew say in those familiar words that send shivers down every believer's spine as it began to dawn on that fateful Sunday morning, the women discovered that the tomb was empty and the stone rolled away. And we know that the rest is indeed history. It's history. But a cloud crossed the early morning horizon, and one crossed my heart. The Apostle Paul, horrible hypothesis invaded the joy that I had. If Christ be not risen, what if? What if? What if the stone had not been rolled away? What if? So I come to some chaotic conclusions. I want all of us in here this morning to realize whether you're serving God or not serving God, 
the opportunity that you have. Let's look at some of the chaotic conclusions. Uh, these things that would result, it would affect our governments. Isaiah said of Christ, the government shall be upon his shoulder in Isaiah 9 and 6. If he had not risen, the governments of this world would lose all authority. Lawlessness would reign. If Christ had not risen, no rolling stone would dissolve the image that Daniel had of the nations to precipitate an everlasting kingdom of peace. Do you realize that it would affect our government? We can look at our government today. Actually, in the last several years, we can look at our government and see how things are beginning to deteriorate throughout our government. And it's, it's working on all of us. I, I, I read something just... Um, in fact, I'm going to get some copies of it. It's in the Primus I get from Hillsdale College. And this guy, in a very scholarly fashion, talked about uh, the Second Amendment. But he made a statement about how... Our governments in the last few years are working towards collectivism and, and being the fact is you do what's best for everybody. But he also said this. He said the framers of our Constitution looked at the man. They didn't look at a collective. They knew that if men were allowed to be free, that it would affect everybody in a positive way. But it was the man that had rights. It was each one of us that had rights. And if we exercise that rights according to the Scripture, that our world and our society would be much better. But I cannot be held accountable, if you please, if you understand this, in my, in my living in this world and, and do whatever I do has to affect the whole. In other words, if I make so much money, I give so much money to somebody else. That's communism no matter what we say. What Jesus always taught was communism. In other words, if I had something, I seen him have a need, I'd give it to him because I wanted to give it to him, not because the government told me to give it to him. That's the way it should be. Why do we have what we have in our, in our society? It's because we have gotten to the fact that the government thinks they know more than what we do on how things should be. I'm sorry, but the only way things are going to be right is what I just said a little earlier. When the government is upon his shoulders, then we'll have right. If that tomb, if that stone had not been rolled away, that opportunity would never present itself. But because that stone was rolled away, we got a hope in the future. We know that things are going to be better one day. Give him a good hand clap. If the stone had not been rolled away, it would affect our calendar. Gone would be the mighty character that intervened in history. Gone is what we're going to call here this morning the colossal Christ who bridged the chasm between B.C. and A.D. The year would not be 2013, reckoned from the supposed birth of Christ, but 2766, as reckoned from the birth of Romulus, the, founding, the founder of Rome. That's how things would be. It would affect our citizenship. It was Christianity that pushed the envelope of discovery and expansion. If Christ was not risen, could it be that the new world would not be found, or at least not developed in its current form? We could still be groping in an old world of selfishness, blindness, and superstition. Again, we go back and we look and we can see how things could have been. 
And we see as people live leave God out, as they leave Jesus out of their lives, how it's tending to go back into that paganistic form. Just so you'll know, Resurrection Sunday is not about chickens and rabbits. It's not about Easter eggs. That's about Easter. Resurrection Sunday is not about Easter. Just so you'll know, I know Paul mentioned Easter in the book of Acts. But he was talking about the pagan holiday, not this. Paganism, folks. And we see so many people drifting backwards into paganism. But because the stone was rolled away, I can live a life that's victorious, like the song that went a while ago. Because the crown, it's on his head. Because the stone was rolled away. It would affect, and this takes me into the next one, would affect our worship today rather than worshiping the risen Christ. We would be praising the mother goddess, the time of the spring equinox. That's what we would be doing. That's reason I can't do sunrise services. Man, I, I've tried. I, even, I, I tried to make myself do one. Thank God I, I like to sleep past sunrise. So, I, you know, except this morning I didn't, but... I mean, I'd have to get up really early. But the fact that I know, I know what the Bible says, it's the rising of the sun and so forth, I realize that. But to start worshiping God when the sun comes up, that's just, that's just like sun worship to me, and I just can't handle that. Sun S-U-N, not S-O-N. I just can't handle that. There's enough paganism in our lives we don't ever take out, you know, and God help us. You ever want to get across and get into the promises of God, you've got to get rid of most of the trash that we carry around that becomes weights to us. And everybody said amen. Thank you, Jesus. You're right, Brother Robertson. It would affect our world. When Christ came, the Roman Empire had reached new lows culturally and morally. Life was cheap. Faith was for sale. The Epicurean rivaled the Stoic, and the Epicurean seemed to win. Heaven it wins. Heaven to that world was an unending bacchanal or party. That's what the Epicureans like. A Mardi Gras of endless feasting and revelry. That's what was going on during that time. And it would have continued had the stone not rolled away. Just suppose that today, just suppose with me, a hot news flash came from the Holy Land. In Palestine, an unusual tomb has been discovered. Its covering stone bears the markings of the Roman seals and the name of Pontius Pilate. Archaeologists removed the remains of a man thought to be Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Do you know what that would do? You ever thought about that? They ever really wanted to... <laughs> Let me give you a little prophecy. If the Lord doesn't come within the next four or five years... That will happen. It will be false, but that will happen. Why? Because they want to get a one-world religion, and that's one way of doing it. It'll be false, because we know better. I know Jesus is alive, and no one could... They could take me to 100,000 tombs, but because of what He's done in my life, lets me know that He's alive. It lets me know that He's alive. Paul said it in, in simpler, more horrific words. He said, if Christ be not risen. Seven ways that we lose if Jesus Christ didn't rise. If Jesus lost the battle with the grave yesterday, I can think of seven ways we lose today. We lose the value of the gospel. Paul said, it's, it, our preaching is useless. 
There is simply no good news, no gospel, if Jesus didn't come out of the grave. And in the first few chapters of Acts, this was a predominant theme. The early church relished the fact that Christ was alive. If there be no resurrection, we have nothing but bad news. If Christ be not risen, we have no good news. None. We lose our faith. If Christ didn't rise, Paul said that our preaching and your faith are also in vain. Life begets like. Like begets like. And a useless preaching begets useless faith. Useless. Job's confidence was, was false when he cried out that in his flesh he would see God. Job 19.26 His trial was nothing more than a, a mockery, a meaningless, capricious flight of futility, useless, vain, empty, worthless, if Christ be not risen. If there's no resurrection, then the Hebrews' hall of faithful becomes a house of foolish in Hebrews 11. Believers of all ages have believed in nothing but a fairy tale if Christ be not risen. We lose our credibility. Paul said that he and the other apostles would be false witnesses. They testified that Jesus was raised from the dead and the roads to Emmaus and Damascus was not marked with a risen Christ. They weren't roads to comfort but roads to chaos. The apostles were, were either helplessly deceived or hopelessly deceptive. They were either senseless or shysters, fools or scam artists. They have no credibility either way. If Christ be not risen, we lose our fruit. Faith produces fruit. Without the resurrection, there's no joy, no power, no life. We're not joyful, living witnesses to a triumphant conclusion. There's no part two of the story. No happy ending. No, no living happily ever after. His story ended in an old tomb if Christ be not risen. And we lose our forgiveness. If the Lord's atoning blood was not accepted as the once and for all sacrifice for man's sin, then we have no forgiveness. He didn't rise and sprinkle sinless blood upon a heavenly altar according to Hebrews 9, 28, 10, 22. There is no fount drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and our burdens have been, haven't been rolled away. And those desiring to worship Jehovah are reduced to an Old Testament economy of endless sacrifices. We better buy goats and sheep and bullocks if Christ be not risen. Do you realize how horrible that would be? People that desiring God and having to go back to that Old Testament form. We lose our hope. Paul said those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. It's over. It's finished. For most pagans, death is perceived as the end of all things. Christianity has changed all of that. It gave hope beyond the grave. Notice the difference between the funerals of a believer and an unbeliever. One has hope. The other only has wishful thinking. That's all they have. We don't sorrow as they sorrow. We don't weep as they weep. We don't grieve as they grieve. We know that death is only a brief separation, a momentary respite. And let me tell you something, friend. The more you live for God and the older you get, the more you understand it. It's just a, it's a momentary respite. When Jesus arose from the grave, he gave great hope to his followers that they too would rise in Romans 8 and 11. If Christ is not risen, we lose our purpose. Because I live, Jesus said, you shall live also. Abundant life and eternal life, gloriously worshiping Him through the ages. Yet, if He's earthbound, then we are also. Our purpose is in vain. 
we are all men most miserable. You might as well believe Disneyland to be heaven and Walt Disney the creator and Mickey Mouse the Messiah. You might as well. Cinderella's castle can be the father's house. It's all useless. Useless. Two words need to be struck from faith's vocabulary. The three Hebrew children used them in Babylon, if not. But the fourth man appeared in the fire, dispelling these words. Remove two words, if not, from if Christ is not risen. And here's the result. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. There is no doubt in my mind. There is no doubt that we have a hope beyond this life. And if you can't feel it right now, there's something wrong with you. There have been a lot of negative that I've said, but now we're about to get into some of the positive. Christ is risen. He is risen. Praise God. Praise God. We should have great confidence. Don't don't let your doubt whimper. Is he risen? Don't 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 let your doubt do that. Let your faith proclaim he is risen. Christ ascended triumphantly from the grave. And let's just let's go to some five proofs of that, if you would, with me. In Matthew twelve forty, it should come up behind me. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You hear that? In Matthew 20, verse 19, And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. In John 2, 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Ah! Whatever they say, I can tell you one thing for sure, that the tomb is empty. There is no body, because that body is glorified, and it's in heaven right now. And it's looking down, and a part of Him indwells me, and a part of Him indwells you. We have a hope beyond the grave, because Jesus Christ is risen. His friend said it was empty. His enemy said it was empty. The stone, the seal, and the Roman guards precluded theft. The empty tomb is a testimony that Christ rose from the dead. Jesus rode, and you know what he said? He said this, I told you so. That's right, I told you so. Count the groups who saw the risen Christ, some 14 different groups. Paul said that over 500 saw him at once, 1 Corinthians 15 and 6. To make sure they weren't dreaming, he ate with them. And he allowed them to touch him. He was making sure that there was enough witnesses to his resurrection that there would be no doubt. And you know, his appearance prompted Mary Magdalene to fall at his feet and cry, Rabboni, in John twenty sixteen. It should prompt us to do likewise. Oh, it should prompt us to do likewise. Oh, folks, listen to me. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much further that you can really go in understanding if you can just experience it in your heart. If you can let all doubt. If you can just roll away and get rid of that blood barrier that's up here and allow the blood of Jesus Christ just to begin to form all over your mind and all over your heart. There will be no doubt. 
in your mind. You don't have to whine. You don't have to whimper. You don't have to listen to the gainsayers outside of these doors. You don't have to listen to the doubters. You don't have to know any of that. You don't have to listen to family that's trying to make you doubt or somebody is trying to do something to hurt you or harm you. Jesus Christ is always beside you because He is risen. Because the stone has been rolled away. And because that stone is rolled away, I stand before you right now and I am sanctified. I I live for a holy God and I've got hope beyond anything this world could ever offer. Why? Because a stone has been rolled away. You know, those who saw him acted on their belief. Simon Peter, once weak and cowardly, defies Christ's killers at Pentecost in Acts 2.36. According to history, ten of the original twelve apostles died a martyr's death because they were witnesses of his resurrection. They were martyrs in their confidence. You understand that? If you've got a doubt in your mind, you're not going to die a martyr's death. They knew. They knew. And how many times has he maybe not appeared in a physical sense to you, but how many times have you heard his voice? How many times has he come to you in a dream? How many times have you been standing here in the midst of a worship service and you could feel his, his touch, you could feel his presence, you could, you could hear him's voice, you, you knew. You know, it's just like standing under a, a fountain. When he just blesses and you just feel that cooling of his spirit, it's almost like you're in a cocoon. How many times? How many times? The church is abiding proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Each immersion in water calling on the name of Jesus and each rising to walk in the newness of life prove that Jesus Christ is alive and he's well. And the hundreds of millions of people who have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost are witnesses of Christ's resurrection power. He makes old things new, and He brings life where there is death. He brings light into darkness. I want the, uh, I want the musicians and the singers to come. So I, I'm closing out this morning. I have never been to the tomb. But I have talked to people who have been have been there. And uh, they've all told me the same thing, that it's empty. It's all the same thing. And the stone has been rolled away. In fact, the stone has been rolled so far that no forensic specialist or archaeologist has been able to even locate it. It's testimony that Jesus Christ is alive. That's the testimony. The stone was rolled away. Not just the stone, but death itself. The barriers. And I'm asking you this morning, how many barriers can you allow to roll away this morning? How many can you just finally put it on? Can you get rid of that blood-brain barrier? Can you get rid of it? And the question remains, why? Why was the, what, the stone rolled away? But not so Jesus could exit, but that... You could enter. That's why it was rolled away. The empty tomb is the entrance into everlasting life. He died that you might die in repentance. He was buried that you might be buried in baptism. And he rose again that Christ might live in your heart 
through His abiding Spirit. Let's talk to Mr. Thomas Jefferson, if you would. Would you do that with me? I want you, Mr. Thomas Jefferson, to meet another Thomas, another doubting Thomas. He too thought that the story, he thought the story was over when the stone sealed the tomb. Yet he discovered that the story didn't end there. Now his faith caused him to shout, My Lord and my God. What else can you say? The stone has been rolled away. Stand with me. What else can you say? The stone has been rolled. I'm just asking you here this morning. Just worship with the singers. Let's thank him. Oh, I love this song. It makes me it makes me stand up in my heart, if you would. It makes my heart my heart just open wide to him. It's one of the most wonderful things that we can ever sing to him. Oh Jesus. Oh yes, it reaches. Yes. Sing it unto the Lord with your hands raised here. come this morning's a good time to roll away some barriers it's a good time to take care of some barriers that's been in your mind to get rid of the unbelief to get rid of the hurt to get rid of the pain this altar's open if you need anything from god this morning about it. I see a crimson stream of blood. What Jesus did on Friday opened the door of the tomb on Sunday. His death gave us hope. His blood gives us power. The power to overcome sin. It gives us the power to change our lives. And our incorporating that blood into our life through repentance, water baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It will give us that resurrection power that no grave will be able to hold us down. Nothing will be able to stop us. Nothing when that time comes that He splits the eastern sky and returns for His church. The Bible says that the dead in Christ shall arise first and then we shall be changed.
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Oh, I don't want to miss that. I've lived my life, biggest part of my life for God. And to miss out now would be the height of folly. It would, be, it would be ridiculous to find something in this world that could stop me from making it to heaven. And I've got a hope, friend. No other religious leader is gone. No other religious leader resurrected. No other ever came out of the tomb. But our religious leader, if you would, is God Himself who came in the flesh and felt what we feel and overcame it and gave us hope. And He's resurrected and He's alive forevermore. Amen. And He holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Again, this altar is open if you need anything from God. Anything at all. I want you to come. Oh, Silo Tuke. Sing it again unto the Lord. It's the throne of God. Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Let's give him a good hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Let's not forget tonight at four o'clock is a drama. Looking forward to it. And uh, let's come expecting something great from God. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Lord bless each and every one. Everybody shake hands and be friendly.